wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 320 of the podcast with my frankly marvelous guest, Irene Ko. She is, of course, the fantastically talented illustrator of the Turf Wars Legend of Korra books. Uh, she is also just a total badass, wonderful person in general. And uh, I had a great time talking with her. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I also, of course, will invite everyone to join me at Pod X in Nashville. We're getting very close. Um, and I'm very happy to say that the schedule has been announced and I'm going to be doing a bunch of different stuff, including a true crime mega panel that I'm going to be moderating that has, if you're a true crime fans, um, some really big, awesome names in true crime. I'm a little nervous, but super excited. So, uh, hold on to your hats for that. Um, but yeah, you can go to podx.com and check out the full schedule. I definitely have live shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, of various panels and podcasts and stuff. So check it out. Hope to see you and I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, so uh, we'll go three, two, one, and you'd give me a two. Okay. Three, two, one. Great. I don't really know how that works. Uh, I feel like I sort of understand in the abstract, but I'm fairly <laughs> sure if you asked me to like explain how and why that would work, I would still be very unsure. <laughs> the important thing is I know how to count down from three. Yeah, you got you got your counting down real well. I got my counting down from through, but let's be honest. Starting from ten, I can't guarantee anything. I'm not sure I would be able to hit all those numbers. Uh, <laughs> how's it going over there? It's good. It's it's been kind of chill these days. Not yeah. not killing myself over work these days, which is nice. Is that something that you had to? sort of decide you were going to do is it something that kind of organically happened like you just found yourself at a point where you didn't have to kill yourself how, what was that how did that go I I've had a a series of a lot of good luck things happen to me um ever since I started working in comics um and uh certainly working on the Cora books was like sort of legitimized my standing in the industry um and uh, the fact that I could prove to to editors and publishers and whatever that I could draw three seventy two page graphic novels within a short amount of time was like was like very good. And so uh, it has definitely I've definitely been lucky enough that I can be picky with the jobs I choose now instead of having to just take whatever and like just wonder what's next, you know. Um, sure. So that's been really good. So so these days because I'm working on my own book, um, I've just said no to most other things so it's been nice it's been really good yeah that's a really uh seminal point in a career and yeah. i guess it all kind of ebbs and flows so it's not it's like i, I when i get to that place i i always <laughs> maybe this is negative of me but i'm always very quick to go like but also i may have to start saying yes to things again or <laughs> yep, yep. you know there this this is not this is not like oh you reach a threshold and then you never cross back over that exactly. threshold um but but it is it's a really especially yeah with with freelancing or with do you know kind of being your own boss in that way is is it's it becomes so hard not to just gobble up whatever work there is yeah. because there's this voice telling you like well what if what if what if what if what if exactly. and then I'll wish I had taken it and da 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 and so yeah getting getting to a place where you can 
sort of take care of yourself, I think is, because I'm sort of in that place now too, where I, I have to, I like almost one of the harder jobs I'm working on right now is quieting the voices that still mm-hmm. try to crop up and go, why aren't you frantic? <laughs> like, oh, is that oh, really? God, is that, that that's like, why do I have to talk myself down from being like, you should be very anxious and frantic right now. Mm-hmm. Why are you not? Mm-hmm. Like, something's wrong. Well, well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe nothing's wrong. <sighs> yeah, I, I think for like six or seven months of 2018, I actually like didn't do anything because I was so burnt out from working on Korra. And I just, I literally like could not draw a comic for like a year. And only now am I feeling like ready to jump back into it. It was, it was bad. I I really like was not careful about it. I hate the idea of you feeling burnt out by Korra, but listen, I'm going to go ahead and just accept that very hard truth. Um... I'm not going to take it personally. It's like it's like when your friend becomes your roommate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. You're like, I love you, but I need some space. I get it. I absolutely get it. What are some things? And now I don't want you to name names and I don't want you to feel like you, you know, you can sort of speak in the abstract. But what would be because I know what my version in, in, in sort of my side of the business is mm-hmm. in terms of saying yes to things just because you need the experience or because you need the mm-hmm. money or, or whatever. Um, but I, I, I'm, I, do, I actually don't know what that would look like in the sort of illustration world. Can you give me a, a loose example again? You don't have to be like, oh, my God, this bank made me illustrate this thing. Like, you know, d- no need to bite a gift horse in the mouth. Nope, that's not in any way expression yeah i feel like it's probably not that different most people grind for like years and years until they they get a foot in the door in comics and mainstream comics and honestly now that i've been here for long enough i'm like why sorry that's my dog (laughs) why why work so hard to break into an industry that treats you so badly (laughs) it's just it's so much work for so very little pay that it's almost insulting um but what gets you is that these projects are really cool and you want to work on them i was lucky enough that my first job in comic i worked in video games beforehand but my first job in comics was actually doing um the origin story for batgirl so uh that opened all sorts of doors for me sure and once you have one of the big two which is dc or marvel on your on your resume or whatever, uh, it, it kind of, it doesn't guarantee you any work, but it certainly makes more people stop and look at your stuff and talk to you and want to know more. So sure, that was, that was very fortunate. And what were you doing in video games? Uh, concept art. So yeah, I was, I was like designing characters and stuff, which is something I'm also doing right now. Just kind of went back to it a little bit. Yeah. Where did you go to school? Uh, And did you go to school, by the way? I'm assuming that you did for for illustration, but I absolutely don't know that to be sure. I was like a weird child and decided my college in like seventh grade. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. (laughs) But uh, I went to the Rhode Island School of Design, also known as RISD in Providence. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the best of the best, if not the best. Indeed. Um, But yeah, that's it was a a very hard four years, but very rewarding. And where were you? Where did you come from when you went off to RISD? So 
Uh, I'm from like a lot of places. <laughs> I usually just tell people I'm from Connecticut because it's the, where I spent the longest amount of time. But um, mm -hmm. I was born in Korea and I grew up a little bit in Tokyo when I was a kid. And then during my teenage years, we would go back to Asia every summer and winter. So kind of. So you were in Connecticut, but going back to Asia. Yeah. So mostly Connecticut, I'd say. So I'm, I'm an East Coaster. Wait, what about you? Where are you from? <laughs> from Arizona. Oh, okay. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Until that. I moved to San Francisco. Yeah. Oh. That was that was my. That was my little home base. Uh -oh. um, very, f very, very different from everything that I sought after <laughs> afterwards. But like, it took me a long time to get to a place where now I love going back to Tucson, where I'm sure. from. And, and not to say that like I didn't l like it or enjoy it up to a few years ago. Mm -hmm. I think just something clicked for me a few years ago where I really... I just appreciated it on a level that like it should not have taken me that long I feel you. to not worry that somehow I was going to have to go back, which is so stupid <laughs> because there's nothing wrong with it. It's a wonderful city. I have friends who live there for, you know, their entire lives and continue to live there and they love it. And, and it's a really kind of extraordinary like climate and landscape and, you know, it's a very special city in many ways, but it's funny. I think for many of us, when, when you feel, when you felt like you moved forward or on in some way in your life and in, and in your particular situation, it involves going away to school mm -hmm. and it involves, you know, moving to different cities and stuff. For some reason, for me, I still associated home with like this, this, this sense, this sense in the back of my mind of like, what if, what if you have to move back here? Mm -hmm. And again, it's not, it's not a matter of like, I wouldn't want to live there because it's awful. It was more just I I would not choose to move back there. So the 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 idea behind having to move back there has more to do with just some idea of like being forced to do something. Sure. Yeah. But but that never there, there's no reason for that to ever happen and you know <laughs> it, and if I moved back there I'm sure it would be fine but it, but it would be by choice. But for some reason I just had to let go of that tension mm -hmm. that I would carry with me when I was home. Does that make any sense to Absolutely. you? Do you ever feel that? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like at least especially for like my generation it would be like it, it would feel like some sort of failure you know going back home even though that's not at all what that would mean but yeah yeah and you know I, again yeah to your point you know it it it, it, it so varies from person to person yeah. I don't look at any of my friends who you know who lived elsewhere and then moved back right, there as right. as failures it's just like this weird personal thing where you're like more critical of yourself yeah. or harder on yourself than than you are of other people what what how big were you in a small smaller uh Connecticut town I was or in like in a, a, a really small town I actually grew up in Sandy Hook <laughs> which is oh. yeah so um it's it's like really small so Sandy Hook is actually a town within a town Newtown, which is like 30,000 people, I think. So it's pretty small. It's like the size of a college, basically. Um, but yeah, I think especially if you're working in like, like entertainment, right? Uh, it would have felt like moving backwards in progress because yeah. all of my other friends, I was like pretty slow to get my start professionally compared to my friends um, who all got jobs in animation. So all of them were moving out to LA or whatever. And I was like, stuck on the East Coast. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not really going anywhere. But you know, I was. It just physically wasn't moving and it felt weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, listen, I've spent very little time in Connecticut. What The time that I've spent there has been quite positive. I did do a con, um, okay. I think in Hartford. That okay. was um, super fun. But also just having had friends who um, had a house that they would go to in Connecticut and in, yeah, just like a very small town. Um, Sherman, I think. Mm -hmm. Sherman, oh, sure. Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, 
just outside of Sherman. And I mean, it was, I think it was the first time I ever experienced, and this seems crazy because I've been to the East Coast before, but I think it was the first time I ever experienced like, no, 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 listen, we just pull over to the side of the road and these people have their fruit stand out here. And then there's just a can where you can put money and it's just the honor system. Mm -hmm. You take a basket of strawberries or whatever, and then you pop your your money in the can and, and you move on. And I mean, for in terms of like, you know, storybook stuff that definitely checks the box Absolutely. of are you serious? Is this the most adorable thing ever? And I didn't um, appreciate it growing up, but I, I do like miss my hometown now. It's like the most beautiful, autumnal, like typical New England place. It's like it still has like Revolutionary War relics and stuff like that. Um, but the my county is was the inspiration for the location of Gilmore Girls, and so oh. <laughs> when I got to college and like I met people from from out of or from the West Coast or whatever, they're like, "Wow, do you guys really go like?" apple picking and do like corn <laughs> mazes and I was like yeah we yeah I guess we do did you feel uh drawn to the west coast um early on yeah so when you grow up in Connecticut when you say the city the only city you are referring to is New York City um, sure and my sister went to NYU and she lives in New York City now and she's like a New Yorker through and through my family loves New York so I grew up going to New York a lot, but I never really, I felt, I felt almost guilty that I didn't love New York the way other people did. Um, mm, yeah. And then I moved to the West Coast and I was like, particularly LA, and I was like, ah, this is it. Like, this is my, my vibe, my pace. It's chill. I like it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a waste of time to say this. It's like discussing someone's horoscope, but I, <laughs> I do think of you as like a very West Coast vibe. Yeah. It's hard for me to imagine you in the hustle and bustle of New York right? as it is hard to imagine myself you know, there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I feel the same way. I feel there was like, there, I think there was a short period of time where I did kind of fall in love with New York and mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh, I would, I would move here. You know, I would move here. But it just didn't last. Uh-huh. It was just a situation where very quickly when I started, you know, doing more work there and, and stuff like that, I, I just thought I'm I'm so happy to visit here. But I, I do think I get the I really fall victim to the stimuli kind of overload. Yeah, same. Um, and it's no one's fault. You know, it's just mm-hmm. a matter of feeling like, why am I so exhausted? I did. It wasn't that crazy of a day. And it's just from the input of humans and yeah. signals and sounds and all that kind of stuff where did we, was it san diego when we were we were both just kind of like just sitting yeah, we in were the room we're like uh. we were both zombies <laughs> <laughs> yeah full-on zombies it's like you're a computer that goes into sleep mode out of power power necessity oh, you know that sort of recharging feeling are you still um, like going to cons and stuff now I do. I don't do as many. Mm-hmm. Um, I that was another thing that I started to kind of pull back on a yeah. little bit because I was traveling so much, sure. and and so um, I, I I'm a little more selective now. And and also I was just working on shows mm-hmm. uh, that you know just were taking up more of my year shooting in in various locations and stuff. But um, but I do still love doing them, and I do love doing the kind of smaller ones. Yeah. not unlike the one that I did in Harvard uh, in Harvard in in Harvard because it. <laughs> It, it just allows for more breathing room. It doesn't feel so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the even just shuffling from one event to the next yeah. is like so much more chill because you're not having to cross thousands <laughs> and thousands of bodies <laughs> or like the back recesses of the sort of crypts uh-huh. of of the back of the back of, of convention centers and stuff. Um, did you grow up going to con- like did you 
as a, as a, were you a comic fan in the sense that you would go to conventions and and see you know famous illustrators and and storytellers and stuff like that? So not at all actually, and I didn't actually grow up reading um, any American comics. Um, I mostly read like like Japanese manga and French comics, um, and I didn't get into like. Well, one, I was a huge homebody, so nothing's really changed, but um, <laughs> I don't like crap. I hear that, girl. <laughs> but uh, when I got to college, um, surrounded by my fellow nerds, that's when, you know, they would bring me to video game conventions. And uh, once my friends started working in the industry, then that became more more of a thing. But I didn't actually go to a Comic-Con until, until I got my first comics gig and... Um, they, I forget which one it was. It might have been Emerald City Comic Con, but yeah. I went out and I was like, oh, this is cool. And that's my art on like a banner. This is neat. I guess I'll keep doing this or whatever. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. The Greatest Generation is a Star Trek podcast that destigmatizes the very idea of having a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> We're Ben and Adam, the hosts of The Greatest Generation, and the technology we've developed is that nobody knows what you're playing in your earbuds. You know, with legalization, it's easier than ever to find out what's in your buds. <laughs> but we suggest that you legally find The Greatest Generation wherever you download your podcasts. We'll send it to you in a discreet, unmarked package. <laughs> And nobody has to know but us. That's The Greatest Generation, the Star Trek podcast that you didn't know you needed, yet makes you feel like you belong. Did you play video games growing up? I did. I play a lot of video games. <laughs> but obviously you were, you were, you were artistic and, and you, were, you were a kid who drew, I mm -hmm. guess. I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. I was... Like I mentioned, a weird kid, and I had a lot of strange aspirations, including um, wanting to become... I saw the Silence of the Lambs at a very inappropriately young age, but I was so <laughs> taken with Clear Starling that I was like, I am going to become a criminal profiler for the FBI, and I'm going to work at a maximum security prison studying psychopaths. And that was like that was like my childhood dream. I, it was, I was a weird kid. I was also completely obsessed with that movie and, and too young yes. to appropriate be obsessed with it and um definitely like i because i watched it i mean it's, it's been a few years but i watched it a few years ago and i it really gave me pause because it it, it so strongly expressed to me the difference between me being this sort of adolescent like pre pre-adolescent and adolescent person who like for me, it's a good representation of of my my the sense of mortality thing mm -hmm. that 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 young people do or, or or don't have, and and that adults definitely like get and gather up with age. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that's true for every kid and every adult in that order, but um, but I I just I like I I, I tried watching it a couple years ago and I was like this is so disturbing like I really I think of myself as a very empathetic kid and I mm -hmm. used to cry over nothing <laughs> you know in like Disney movies and stuff but somehow and and st even to this day I can't really watch war movies like people yeah. are like you've never seen Saving Private Ryan I'm like I can't I wouldn't be able to I couldn't get through Good Morning Vietnam oh my gosh I feel um you. 
you know and so i couldn't watch anything like that and yet somehow i'm watching silence of the lambs like <laughs> over and over and over again I, and just getting yeah. such a thrill out of it and and watching it more recently i was like oh god this is so upsetting it's, i can't i don't very I, can't, upsetting. I, can't, I can't watch this i don't know how i watched a lot of the things i enjoyed as a kid i think ever since trump got elected i've only wanted to consume like fluffy happy media <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't connect the it. dots at first and I was like why can't I watch these things anymore like just just the little bit of violence just is like so upsetting now I'm mm-hmm. like ah, this is the world we live in now I guess well yeah I mean as more as more I think that is kind of it it's more saturates mm-hmm. as reality saturates your experience yeah. your age and your experience as time goes by it's it like it actually is a saturation totally. process potentially and it, it may happen at a different level for different people but those things kind of create a residue right and yeah. i think at a certain point maybe for both of us that it, it hit a, a point at which it was like oh i can't consume this mm-hmm. the same way anymore because i have too much personal experience exactly it's like understanding too real. of loss yeah. yeah to to just be able to kind of like push that aside and focus on you know how delicious anthony hopkins performance was or whatever <laughs> i always think about this I, th- I was thinking about this recently because I, I can't watch like violent stuff anymore without without being super disturbed but i still really love like true crime things um, i know i do too and whodunits and i think it's because like unlike movies that depict realistic kind of violence like true crime and and whodunits and whatever and procedurals it's like a fantasy of those criminals being caught and it's usually yes. violence against women and so and it's the puzzle it's yes, the puzzle yes. and the feeling of wanting justice the feeling of yeah. wanting to feel like something is solvable and something exactly. is resolvable. So it's um, No, I think that's yeah. very that's very common, yeah. especially among women, frankly. Yeah, but exactly. you know, it's it's common overall. But all the conversations I've had on and off the podcast with with fellow women who have that same feeling, which I share, mm-hmm. um, it is. It's I, I think it, it overwhelmingly it's a sense of um, trying to control the uncontrollable Mm -hmm. or, you know, trying to feel like you're participating in some sort of a solution, you know, in addition to the sort of the thrill of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is very different, but it's still like, you know, I can't, the, the sort of more exploitative stuff Mm -hmm. that is usually on television, Mm -hmm. the stuff on television is like, still feels very, like I never paid attention to anything while it was happening because news coverage was so splashy and gross. Yeah. So I had to like, like, I didn't really understand like what had happened to just (laughs) basically list anyone, (laughs) list any person who be, that something horrible befell them. I didn't know anything about it at the time because I was like, I don't want to know about that. That like, I don't want to watch the news. That's going to be really upsetting and it doesn't involve me. And it's just going to be gross, like them trying to get ratings and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so it was like, I like had, I seriously had no sense of John Benet Ramsey. I was just about to bring up John Right? <laughs> no sense at all. Other than like a picture of her with too much makeup yeah, on yep. and going like, well, that's a tragedy. But that was it. Like just, just going, I don't know. And like whatever kind of stepped in through anecdotes but I just had zero knowledge of that case or just about anything else like it until much 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 later Um, when I became a conscious human being I remember that being 
all over the news all the time and my mom and her and her sisters or her friends or whatever I would hear them jockey back and forth all the time about who they thought had done it and like and then the OJ case and all this stuff and so I was like just constantly surrounded by that but yeah yeah OJ same thing just had no obviously yeah like you said we were subjected to it Mm -hmm. but I did not seek out information Mm -hmm. in any way Mm -hmm. shape or form um but I think there is something to be said too for for hindsight with stuff like that I mean there's only so much you can digest and there's only so much the media can pick apart while something like that is happening Mm -hmm. but you know give it 10 years or more um and it feels like you know (laughs) <laughs> it feels like historians and documentarians and like writers and sort of long form journalists become more interested in not only analyzing what happened, but also the context in which it happened sure. and how that informed it Absolutely. and all that kind of stuff. And I think once you have that perspective, it starts to feel less salacious and a little bit more in an ideal world like that yeah. long documentary, that documentary series that um, 30 for 30 did about OJ mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago was phenomenal yeah. because it put everything into context Mm -hmm. that was so important you know to know and understand and really think about what was going on that's like a way of looking yeah yeah for me I think that's that's a way of looking at it that that contextualizes it and adds a like a thoughtfulness and a humanity to it that you're not going to get from the you know the tabloids as stuff is happening and people are like standing on someone's lawn hoping they come out and say (laughs) something it's just so gross yeah (sighs) What if you were a paparazzi? This I always think Paparazzo. of this. I'm like, what kind of, what sort of like shamelessness do you live in to to be a paparazzo? <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's a, like a different. It is. It's like a different setting of a. It's like, oh, you're a different species. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in like a constant low key sense of guilt all the time for burdening. <laughs> people with my with me so the thought of like intentionally invading someone's space like that is just like horrifying I'm like almost interested to the point where I would like to interview someone who does it Mm -hmm. but at the same time I feel like I don't know how much insight I'm really gonna get but maybe I would I don't know yeah I'll keep you posted posted. (laughs) if you ever in bed with like uh what was um well I can't think of words right now well, oh, like, uh, like TMZ or something. Always, yeah, TMZ <laughs> that always breaks the story first. Yeah. Do they have like um, a reality show? That's yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, when I found out that that was actually a thing, like a thing where on camera people sat around on on each other's desks and like gossiped, I just felt <laughs> dead inside. Um, which maybe is what you have to feel to get on board for that. Um, Did you, when you would go into the city, were you consuming culture in the form of, you know, seeing, seeing theater and, and going to museums and stuff? Or what what, what would you guys do? You and you, would your whole family do that? You and your sister and your parents? Yeah, my whole family, they're all very into, uh, the arts. And so we went to a lot of museums and traveled a lot growing up, uh, and I think mostly we just, we traveled for food. Um, and New York City conveniently has a lot of good food. And so we would just go to eat good things. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, we also, we saw a lot of, uh, my mom and dad both love musicals. And so we, we saw a lot of Broadway shows. Um, and then when my sister went to NYU, it just made it easier to just go there and stay there for a little while and then and do whatever was around. But yeah. Well, what brought your family? What I know, you were born in Korea and mm-hmm. you lived there. What was the st- what were the things in your parents' lives that precipitated 
the moves to various places? Uh, nothing really exciting. It was my dad's job. He worked at IBM for a little while, um, for actually a long while. Um, and they just transferred him um, a few times. And so we actually went from Korea to Japan to Pennsylvania. Uh, and then we lived there for a year and then like very briefly in White Plains, New York, and then Connecticut. So gotcha. kind of everywhere, but yeah. Gotcha. Uh, well, how much, how, what age were you when you were in Korea and Japan that you, do you have, I know you would go back there and, mm-hmm. and visit um, after you had, had settled in, in the States, but how much do you remember from when you were a kid? My earliest memories, my first memory of home is of Tokyo. We moved to Tokyo from Seoul when I was like, I think like a year old. So I don't really remember. I didn't remember Korea at all. Um, so to me, it's kind of, it's a little, it's, it's complicated, but like to me, home feels like Tokyo. Um, yeah. Even though I didn't live there for like, out of all the places I've lived, that is not the place I lived the longest. And uh, well, I can, I guess I can speak Japanese. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a weird, it's a weird cultural thing. Um and there's like there's like videos of me as a kid speaking Japanese, English, and Korean all in like one sentence, and my family has like oh. no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like I have a lot of good feelings of home attached to Japan, but um, I ended up going to Korea a lot because my dad got a new job there when I was a teenager, um, and so he moved back to Korea, and we all stayed in the states. But we would go back every summer and winter, um, and I ended up like working internships there and and living there for a little bit. So I kind of I had to reestablish uh, like a cultural connection. I think like I think like all all Korean Americans, or maybe like just all. Uh, brown people in the U.S. eventually do this, where they like feel the need to go back to the motherland or whatever, and like mm-hmm. reconnect with our roots. And uh, particularly, there's like a pressure for Korean American kids to do this. Um, mm, interesting. Yeah, there's. I got made fun of a lot by other Koreans for not being able to speak Korean growing up. Um, <laughs> I mean, and like I don't know, I lived in like white bread Connecticut. So I don't know what they expected. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Did you discover stuff like manga when you were in Japan or yeah. did you discover it in the States as a sort of connection to this sense of loss of this this place that felt like like home to you? I was definitely super into it when I was so I when I was in Tokyo in the 90s, that was like some of the golden age of anime. Uh, and so like Sailor Moon was airing at the time and I've had a lifelong obsession with Sailor Moon. Um, and for it, good reason, man. And I, I think definitely moving here, especially moving to Connecticut, where there was no sort of Asian community, uh, I, I clung on tighter to my roots. Um, I think for my sister, she felt kind of embarrassed by it and wanted to mm. assimilate more. And as the older one, you know, doing everything first, um, she definitely just wanted to sort of blend in. Um, but for me, I was always like this is my heritage and I'm so proud of these things and look at all my anime stuff. And like, so yeah, that was, I, I was like just obsessively reading Japanese comics and, and watching anime and, and just copying those drawings. So. And, and when you were in high school, did you have friends uh, at your school that you kind of shared that, that stuff with, or was that sort of just your, your thing that you didn't necessarily have a connection with other people in that would be in the same room with you? Yeah, no, not really. It was, I was sort of, 
I was kind of very lonely in high school, but I guess every teenager is a little bit lonely in high school. But uh, I kind of didn't have one clique. I was friends with sort of everyone, but I wasn't very close friends with anyone. Um, so I was like, I was I was an orchestra band nerd, uh, but I was also like the artsy one. Um, I also did sports, but they were sort of extracurricular, so not with any sports teams, but like I could, mm. you know, uh, bond with the athletes or whatever. But um and then like theater kids and stuff like that. But uh, so mostly what, it was, uh, like, what yeah. sport did you play? I rode horses competitively for like 12 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I did martial arts for a really long time, too. Um, kickboxing, what, uh, what, um, nice. mostly judo was like my favorite thing. Uh, and uh, some karate and Iaido, but which is like the, the sword one. But uh, <laughs> I'm, no one is surprised that you're a complete and total badass. This is getting very like I, I now know who I need to be with for the apocalypse. I need to immediately come find you. You'll be teaching me how to like hunt and gather on horseback and judo oh chop my enemies. <laughs> Um, this is going to be great. And then you'll just draw beautiful artwork so that the aliens who come and find Earth as a rebel will have uh, some records of what took place in the end times. Boy, this is so grim. I really I really like made it real for myself. It started to feel like it was about to happen. I know. I mean, it kind of could be real at this point. I always think like if the world ended like on one hand, I would be so prepared with self-defense skills. And on the other hand, if I lost my contacts, I'd be dead, like immediately, oh, just gone, just murked. I know, I know. <laughs> I think about the all the things that my body needs to yes. just function yes. in, a, in a reasonable way. It's like just exactly that, like to read signs, to drive <laughs> and stuff like that. And... I mean, listen, you would just have some, you would have some glasses that were strapped on like goggles. It's and... True. And now I'm like, um, I should get LASIK. Like, I, I know. You, just what you just said, the idea of, of being able to actually fix that and not be reliant on mm-hmm. some some kind of technology after the fact. Uh, that's like the most, the most um, kind of attractive reason, the most convincing I reason I've thought of so far. <laughs> Going, just jumping straight to the apocalypse. Like, why, yeah, you know, just Finally, a reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so you put, and so horseback riding, yo, so when you say extracurricular, yeah, now I see what you mean. Yeah. You're saying it wasn't even like part of, it, it was, was not yeah, it wasn't like associated with the high school yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what instrument did you play? I was a very good Korean child and I played the piano and the violin for like a very, very long time. Um, and I still play the violin I still play both of the instruments um like in between work when I need to sort of reset my brain um that's great I got diagnosed with ADHD in the last year and it kind of was a shocking and a relief and it answered a lot of questions about why I I was the way I was for most Mm -hmm. of my life and the struggles I had as a kid um and uh someone was telling me about how um if you if you train in music, particularly as a child, it, it shapes your brain differently. Um, and for ADHD brains, the way that music works um, cognitively is is very helpful. Um, and uh, when I reflected on it, I was like, yeah, that is true. Like music was always sort of like my my wind down thing when I need to just like gather myself. And so these days when I need to like take a break from work or when I'm having trouble focusing or whatever, uh, I just I just sit at my piano and I play stuff and then I move on. And it's very close to me. So uh, that is 
absolutely wonderful to hear. <laughs> and I will say also that having been similarly diagnosed, oh, yeah? I, uh, <clears throat> I, I played guitar for a long time. Oh, cool. It's not something that I, that I necessarily do anymore, mm-hmm. but even just for me, like sing singing, yeah. quite honestly, yeah. um, was always that for me and always something that, you know, I was, I, I, I never a- attached anxiety to the mm-hmm. way that I, I managed to a- attach anxiety to, uh, almost everything else. So <laughs> I totally get it. And I didn't, I, the, the, the music thing didn't, that's not something I, I really heard before. I don't think. And, yeah. and that actually does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. It's almost like, yeah, it just makes, it just makes sense. It's so fascinating the way the brain, the way the brain works and the way certain things end up tying together, Mm -hmm. um, just in these little threads. It's like autism obviously is this giant quilt with a lot of patches that are unfilled at this point. Mm -hmm. People don't understand. There's so many different aspects to it and there are so many different levels and sort of um, ways in which you can be diagnosed. Um, And and then there are these little tendrils of autism that have been shown to connect to Alzheimer's um, and and been shown to connect to ADHD and ADD and, and, you know, bipolar and all this kind of stuff. Just in the way that the brain's chemistry as we learn more we see how there are these possible connections and I think um that has been really interesting for me my sweetie has a his brother uh has something called fragile x which is a severe form of autism Mm -hmm. and uh just understanding just spending so much time with him and and honestly in many ways feeling and I don't mean that I don't mean this reductively and I don't mean this in sort of a I just feel like there's a million ways to take this, but uh, in so many ways, like what's going on with, with his brother, Brian, I just feel like it's me turned up to 20. Yeah, sure. You know, they're yeah, just yeah, like yeah. his, his sensitivity to, to sound, mm-hmm. his sensitivity to place, you know, his need for order. Like, so, you know, yeah. many things like that, um, are it's so relatable to me. There's nothing about it that feels foreign or intimidating or frustrating. It's like, Absolutely. Oh, I, I completely get that. It's just his settings are different yeah. than mine where, where, where those things are concerned, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah And exactly. that's true. I think for so many of us, um, the difference being that like, I'm still getting, I'm still really bad at touching people when I don't know if they really want to be touched or not. Like it's such a part of when those things are so ingrained in you from when you're a kid, Uh you grew up with like a touchy feely family. It's so hard to regulate that and I and I feel so bad especially at conventions because it's just my nature like if I'm enthusiastic about someone like I'll I'll touch them before I'm even thinking about yeah, it yeah, and yeah. you know it, it, it it's so not an, an invasion of space you know intention but gosh you know that's a that's that's really something that I need to just you know keep trying at and keep getting better at because I don't ever want someone to you know, feel like I, this is uninvited. Why are you touching my arm right now? You know. Yeah, and I think that's like the best we can do, right? Just, just try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, yeah, and be committed to it in, mm-hmm. in that way, and, and constantly apologize like I do. Yeah, <laughs> just, me too. <laughs> if I could just apologize more, uh, if that's even possible. I think um, I say what sorry about dating for you? Else. I know, I know. I don't know why I'm rushing into now asking about dating oh, straight no, from okay. a conversation about like touching someone inappropriately. That's no, probably kind you. of a weird segue. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, Varney. Um, dating. Yeah. How did that, how did that factor in for you since you were kind of a, 
all all over the place and had different groups of friends and stuff was there were what what were your romantic uh feelings looking like when you were a teenager oh gosh um <laughs> uh i was i was always a really kind of horny kid i think um and my parents did not regulate at all the media I was consuming. Um, and at, at when I was younger, I was like, oh, yeah. But now when I look back on it, I'm like, eh, I probably could have used like a little bit of, you know, parental <laughs> discretion. Um, <laughs> nothing, yeah, nothing I'm laughing, but I mean, healthy. absolutely. Yeah, but it yeah. certainly exposed me to things younger. And um, uh, I... Yeah, I think I I just uh, de- compared to my friends, I think I approached uh sex and sexuality um with a with more eagerness and an open mind. Um we grew up in like a very like my school system our sex ed was, you know, abstinence only and uh Was it a private school or was it It was public. Um It was public. Yeah, yeah. but and co-ed. And co-ed, yes. Yeah. Um but it was a very religious town. Interesting. Most people were Roman Catholic or, or Presbyterian, and so uh, we had a lot of that going on. Um, but you would think that there would also be a lot of, like, not to bring up the movie Footloose, because that <laughs> does not necessarily pertain, but that there would be, like, for some behind-closed-doors sort of hanky-panky. Oh, that, absolutely. That, that is, like, people more blowing off steam even than in a more liberal environment, potentially. Yeah. I think there was... Just not enough conversation happening about it. Um, we were all, I feel like, lucky enough and well-educated enough um, to, like, know how to use condoms and other kinds of protection. So, like, we didn't have a lot of teen pregnancies. That was kind of unheard of in my town. But uh, pe- there were definitely – my peers were definitely um, – it was it was a deeply sort of shameful thing to talk about that stuff. Um, and so mm. I was kind of, like, the weird one, and I was kind of slut-shamed a little bit. Um but yeah, I don't know. Did your sexuality itself and kind of who you were attracted to feel, did you feel challenged? Did you feel, were you open about that? Were there girls that you were interested in that, you know, you couldn't say anything to? Mm-hmm. What, what, how did that take shape for you? Or was that something that you, that you expressed later? Um, what did that look like? It's really funny to look back on it now that it wasn't clear to me then, but I had no idea about my sexuality until even like after college. Um, I had a huge crush on my best friend in high school. Um, and even that was not like, for some reason, did not like process to me. Um, and, you know, growing up, my favorite characters in cartoons were like kind of, you know, coded to be sort of gay. Um and in college, I was even, like, hooking up with girls, and I was like, I don't know, I'm probably just experimenting or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then it wasn't until, like, years later that I was like, oh, I see now. Yeah. Yeah, I found this. Um, I found this. She doesn't listen to the podcast because we. I'm I'm in touch with her enough to know that unless she has suddenly taken an interest in it, or maybe she's always listened and she's just lying to me to make me feel better. <laughs> but um, I my I've I'm 
mentioned her before uh, from time to time on the podcast, but my my friend um, in high school that was the the person that I sort of f- kind of fell in love with mm-hmm. and uh, between eighth grade and freshman year who just completely informed like a massive style change mm-hmm. from me going from like just like whatever RC theater kid to like full goth um, and <laughs> oh taking drugs and like all of this stuff that we both just dove into head first. Wow. I want to see, I, I see full goth uh, Janet. I got to get, I got to look for some photos. It's funny. It's like one of the things I didn't do during that period was I was like, pictures are stupid. Um, so I have like some, but, uh, but like not nearly as many as I wish I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I was just obsessed with her and you know, the thing that's, that I think is hard about it looking back is that in the way that, you know, a, a romantic relationship ends it. And, and, and I think this is true for many people and, and for many people who don't identify as queer and that's also totally legitimate and, mm-hmm. and it can be purely platonic when this happens, but we like broke up, you know, yeah. and it was really painful. Um, it was, you know, it was as painful of a breakup as I've ever had in with a romantic relationship. Um, and it was, and I like look back at like the poems I was writing oh for and about her. And like, I had, we had to do an assignment. This I actually did find just the other day. We, I had to do an assignment my freshman year where you, you basically do a character study of something for your English class. Um, and you oh have to gosh. like, just, you know, the whole idea is like digging deep into a person to sort sure. of describe them and, and really paint a picture. And I, I found it the other day and it is like, my poor English teacher, like he must have known, you know, because it just the whole way I describe her is like is like I I clearly know every curve of her body, like oh I, I, you know, everything I'm describing is like very sensual. <laughs> like at the time, I didn't even it wasn't even something that I was really thinking about, you know. It's just so funny to look back and 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 go, oh my god, I can't believe, you know. I love this story because I was just showing my husband last week your. Uh... <laughs> your segments on burning love and, mm-hmm. and he's like wow this is this is amazing and the the sort of the next video up on youtube after that was someone had um it put that audio over scenes in cora <laughs> yeah yeah i think i've seen bits and pieces of that um yeah, it's it's uh, I'm glad that it's funny when things that are completely unrelated in my career, most of which is, you know, there's not a, a real through line uh, with with the stuff that I do. It's I, it is actually really fun to see how those things end up overlapping yeah. by virtue of like somebody who ends up being a fan of both or a fan of, you know, three or whatever. Um, but that that's a, yeah, that's sort of a weird cool <laughs> thing that happened which you know I, I doubt I mean I don't know like I don't know if that would have happened or had the or lasted the way it did mm-hmm. had you know Cora not ended the way that it did and had the books not continued on yeah. with your amazing work and all Aww. that kind of stuff but it's sort of you know you start <clears throat> assigning more significance to things like burning love yeah and, you exactly. know it's like you're, you're drawing connections that aren't necessarily there but Absolutely. for me as a as a person they are like for me as a as a person who got to do both of those things Mm -hmm. they were both super meaningful to me for that reason um did you ever did you ever tell your friend did you ever have a conversation with your friend after the fact your high school friend I didn't um, or was it just something that you understood for yourself she I don't think I ever told her actually maybe no 
We had we had an almost conversation about it. Is my is my recollection? Um, <laughs> I, I kind of was like we we caught up years years later, and I was like, oh, remember those times? And like I kind of like wanted to see if she had picked up on anything, but uh, I don't think she did. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we'll just <laughs> we'll just let this go. And she always had like a string of boyfriends all the time, and so I kind of just had to. You're like, this is not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get it. It's hard to know how someone's going to take that stuff. Yeah. Know? But um, and 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 that was, I think, too, a problem for me was, you know, there were a couple of friends that I did have feelings for who had feelings for me. And then, you know, we consummated those feelings mm. for on on for one in one way or another. Mm. And uh, and then things got really awkward. So it's just it's just the same. It turns <laughs> out it's just the same as with uh, heterosexual friends. Yes. Like It turns yes. out. There's no guarantee. Nope. There's no guarantee that it's going to blossom into anything. <laughs> and there's no guarantee. Be <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no guarantee that it's going to, everything's going to go back the way it was. Like, there's just no knowing. And, and, and it taught me from a very young age, like, well, maybe check that behavior a little bit because you can't, you just aren't going to know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've sort of had it happen in various iterations. So you sort of feel like I, I feel like I've experienced every possible outcome of hooking up with a friend sure, yeah. <laughs> from like the yep. very best to the very worst. Yep. My, my best friend growing up, um, we, we were like inseparable for a while. And then uh, she was always like a huge tomboy and whatever, but she, you know, she had boyfriends here and there. But um, when I got married last year, uh, she came out to California and we were catching up and she was like, so uh, I'm engaged. And I was like, oh, congratulations. What's his name? And she's like, well, her name is. And I was like, oh, and she was telling me like she had been searching her whole life for a partner who could um, who she, she could feel comfortable with the same way that she felt comfortable with me. And it kind of clicked to her <laughs> later in adulthood where she was like, oh, like I'm into women. And so. <laughs> It worked mm -hmm. out, but she was mm -hmm. like, yeah, it was very interesting to see where all my friends ended up. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that, you know, we're lucky because we live in a time yes. where we get to see people actually be able to explore and express yeah. that stuff. You know, I, oh, I I wonder sometimes, like, my dad has some friends who, you know, he, he my dad has a friend who, well, he passed away, but it was a friend, not only that, but it was a friend that my, that was older than my dad because okay. he, the, because they had worked together. And so not only, you know, are we talking about my dad's generation, but we're talking about uh, even a little bit older than mm -hmm, that. And mm -hmm. he was like just the most wonderful, wonderful man. And I grew up knowing him and, um, and he just was like, you know a consummate bachelor like didn't mm. allow but he was catholic so he just he didn't allow himself any any flexibility for like there was no yeah. relationship there was no sexuality there was nothing and my dad was like i you know he's like i just my heart broke for him because i i i just felt so strongly that he was gay he was gay you know yeah. he was gay and that there was nothing my dad could have done or said to make that okay for him and you know it's obviously very much still like that for certain people certain sure. cultures certain upbringings all that kind of stuff but um there's no denying that it's just so much better now Agreed. to feel like you have the right to ask yourself about those feelings and explore them and not and not have to f attach a whole lot um to it other than that it's all going to be okay mm -hmm. whatever it ends up being mm -hmm. you know? 
Yeah. Oh, what did you dress like and stuff when you were in high school? You, <laughs> uh, because you because you had all this different stuff going on and because you were a part of these different environments. Was it was was fashion sort of an afterthought because you you were living in in the world of all these activities you were doing or did you use it to express yourself yet further? So I, I was definitely always a huge tomboy and I kind of only ever wanted to wear like shorts, um, t-shirts and sneakers <laughs> and a hoodie or something. But my mom is, um, she is, she's very deeply into, into fashion. Um, and her sister also worked in fashion. And so, uh, actually both her sisters, but so I kind of didn't have a choice, <laughs> So growing up, my mom would be like, you're going to wear this. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. So mm -hmm. I was actually a surprisingly well-dressed teenager. Um, but it's at the time, I didn't appreciate it. And I was like, man, you know, everyone else is wearing like Abercrombie and Fitch and like they look cool. And I have to wear like, I don't know, this very well-coordinated designer outfit or something. <laughs> Oh wow! Like boo -hoo, you were your mom's, you, know? you were your mom's dress up doll. Yeah, I was, and uh, like she would like even as babies. I look at old baby pictures, and we're wearing like baby Dior, which I didn't even realize was a thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, my mom was no. like, it wasn't for you, it was for me, and I was like, yeah, I get, I get it. Oh uh, yeah. But oh wait, now, are both your parents yeah. Korean? By the they way, they are. Yeah. Okay, I realized that like I had no your dad could have could easily be your like either one could easily <laughs> yeah, yeah. be anything, and I just made the assumption because you were born in Korea and because you had lived there. Yes, um, they're both Korean. Okay, good. But yeah, my even my dad likes fashion shopping, so <clears throat> my whole family we're all very we're all very into fashion, and especially now I'm like very I I love the idea of it as as an expression of self, and so yeah yeah, I try to I try to encourage some of my my friends who are like, I can tell they're like curious about it or like, they're like, I don't know. I feel a little self-conscious wearing this thing that I want to wear. I'm like, no, you just got to do it. Yeah. It looks yeah, good absolutely. if you feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's always the, the ongoing conversation about something like fashion, right? Is like the, the sort of consumer side of it mm -hmm. and the, and the, and the kind of, um, the sort of like society yeah. side of it versus just it being a way of expressing yourself. Cause I definitely went through a phase where I was so averse to the snootiness of, you know, designers. And mm -hmm. um, I think in San Francisco feeling a sense of like, <laughs> you know, that it became important um, in certain, in certain walks of life in San Francisco that those things were very much paid attention to yes. in a way that, you know, w were used to judge others or separate Absolutely. you from others on some level. And it's a bummer when, when that, when something that, that can be so joyful and can be so non-judgmental and become such an artistic expression of how you feel on the inside, if you want to express it that way also is, can be tied into, you know, a culture that, uh, is, is very much it kind of gives it a bad name in yeah a way that you sort of wish it didn't you know koreans are now uh, as a country very wealthy but uh, like up until the 80s they were still considered like a third world country um and so when when their sort of tech boom hit um they had all this new money and this was like kind of like in the 2000s era early 2000s and they were just spending money on all like both fake and real designer goods the way that like like you'll see like chinese tourists do now um mm -hmm. if you go to like duty-free places koreans were just, just buying everything, everything and wearing yeah. everything all at the same time and it was so gaudy but it was it was a, a necessary thing to show like your your social status or whatever uh yeah. or, or fake a social status um and now it's much better but like 
I, I remember growing up and being like, ugh, like, that's so yeah. stupid, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, I think, I think for me it was just, yeah, like the idea of, you know, like, I, I've, I just don't, I don't, this is a very, very specific example, so I don't want to <laughs> be, you know, it's very limited, but... For example, like I don't like the Louis Vuitton pattern. I mm-hmm. I don't I don't like it. I never have. And there was some point at which I just became resentful of the idea <laughs> that like it needed to mean something. Yeah, it needed to you know it just just the idea of that seemed so counterintuitive to me. Like, well, why is wait? Are you telling me that everyone loves this exact pattern so much <laughs> that everyone just can't live without it? Like, no, this is a status symbol. This isn't about genuinely really liking the design of something. This is just about mm-hmm. a, a, a very easy communication to other people that you that you could afford it or, or like or the that s- you. Yeah. yeah, the scary power of like advertising too, right? Just seeing it yeah. everywhere kind of brainwashes you into thinking like, I do like this, you know, like a question <laughs> right. mark. Right, yeah. exactly. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. My name is Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. And together we're the hosts of Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. What does that mean for you, the podcast consumer? Well, it means that you're going to get a lot of stories about how we used to do weird stuff to people in order to try to fix them. Do you know that we used to think diseases were caused by bad smells? And that we used to eat mummies for medicine? That's super funny. I kind of like Well, thanks, and we hope you'll kind of like our show, Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. It's available every Friday wherever fine podcasts are sold or at its beautiful, picturesque home at MaximumFun.org. Um, all right, girl, I got to get into this mash game um, yeah. so that I don't uh, keep you all afternoon, which I absolutely could and would. <laughs> um, first uh, category, I think that we can segue into this very cleanly vis-a-vis the conversation we were just having. Let's do three styles, like three types of fashion. It could be as specific as one like one character or it can be... Um, more of a cross section of a style but three styles either from like anime or video games that um you can you can take on for yourself and no one's gonna bat an eyelash it's just like something that you know you can incorporate into your daily attire and and no one thinks twice about it oh my gosh just any three yeah um we'll go with i feel like athleisure is a thing in anime now you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I don't know how to describe it other than just the title of the anime, which is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and the creator actually did a collaboration with Gucci, which is very cool. Um, oh, nice. Oh, maybe like <laughs> like Naruto ninja outfits or something. Nice. <laughs> ninja. Fantastic. Okay, great. Uh, next category, let's do three... Uh, movies or series that you can jump into. You're not reliving the plot. You're just in that world with those characters whenever you want. I feel like we have to put in Korra. 
Delicious. Wonderful. We'll do Sailor Moon. Great. And screw it. Let's put in Naruto. Let's put in some more ninjas. Great. Done. <laughs> let's put in some more ninjas. Did you think you're going to be saying those words today? Uh, let's put them in. <laughs> more ninjas. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Next category. Um, three foods that uh, in this reality maybe you can't have a lot of because they are uh, bad for the environment or, mm. you know, high in calories or you eat too much, you feel sick or they're so, you know, you can only get them in Korea, whatever, <laughs> um, that in our alternate universe we're building here, uh, you can have in perpetuity at the snap of your fingers with zero negative ramifications. Oh, man. Well, I can't have a lot of dairy anymore. So let's say, what's the most indulgent ice cream? And it's it, maybe? Oh, great. Thank <laughs> you, great. Um, I guess cows are bad for the environment, so let's put a big ribeye steak on there. There you go. And what else? Um, I like the butteriest mashed potatoes imaginable. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. Uh, I'm putting buttery MPs. I yes. hope I remember what that stands for. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Okay, uh, next category, let's do romantic interests. These okay. can be real people, uh, just characters from things, including fiction, video games, uh, animation, real life, any any era, any age. Okay. Um, three, three romantic partners. Um, I love Asami, so we'll put Asami on there. Well done. Uh, <laughs> Idris Elba, that's, yep. you know, fantasy number one. He's still got it. <laughs> And, um, oh man, this is a good question. I'm just like looking at my bookshelf now. <laughs> I know. It's amazing how quickly you turn to like, what do I like? <laughs> who am I? What do I, who am I? I'll just put a really wild one in there for fun. Um, let's do Abe Sapien from Hellboy. Oh, nice. I, I love think that's Abe. a great choice. Right? Ugh. Good old Abe. Yeah, fantastic. That's like very much the precursor to The Shape of Water. Not only for the actor himself, but like the actual entire concept. Agreed. um, Feels very uh, derivative, and I don't mean that in a bad way. (laughs) Um, Let's do three. Okay, while you're illustrating, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's for your book or something else, um, three musicians or composers, you know, could be a band, could be orchestral, could be, you know, a movie composer, but three... um, bands or people who you would like to have had composed they can it's like they can tap into your creative mind and provide a soundtrack that helps you in your process um okay one would be um joe hisaishi who does all the ghibli movie soundtracks um gosh this is good Mm -hmm. i'm sorry they're all gonna be really nerdy references um <laughs> i don't think anyone's gonna have a problem with that uh let's see the um oh gosh what's his name we'll go with actually we'll go with her uh yoko shimomura who also does a lot of video game soundtracks great and we'll put in sia just for fun okay <laughs> perfect uh great okay next category for you will be three 
places in the world if getting there is not a pain it's everything's sort of equal okay um uh that you would have a vacation home Ooh. um switzerland <sighs> we'll say tokyo great and we'll put in we'll put in hawaii too big island Great. God, I do love the Big Island. And I, know, I say so that as only nice. having been to Maui and the Big Island, so I, I'm limited. But I'm, I, I feel like if you compare those it. two, though, it's definitely, yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's really no <laughs> contest on that one. Uh, okay, Big Island, great. Okay, next category. Let's do, um, well, listen, I don't know if this is going to be like an appealing category for you or like a total snooze, so you can tell me if you don't feel like answering it, but what about like three storylines or characters, um, from anything that you would love to work on? And I say that with a warning that let's assume that you don't get tired of it. Like you got tired of Takora. <laughs> you could take away the negative side of it and just imagine that it's a dream from start to finish. Um, working on Big Barda, a DC okay. superhero would be great. I feel like I, I got to check off the things I wanted to work on, so it's like kind of hard. Um, yeah, I was afraid of that. I was afraid your success was going to ruin this category. I'm just so successful, Janet. <laughs> I've done all the things I want to do. Uh, anything related to the Shinsengumi, which was like this historical uh, Japanese... I hate to call them cops. They were kind of cops, but they were samurai cops. Um... Oh, nice. Uh, what else? Maybe not a specific character IP, but let's just put in ninjas since we got Great. the ninja thing going on Yeah, there. we really got a good ninja theme. Definitely got a good ninja <laughs> theme. Okay. Um, and with that in mind, let's go ahead and do uh, some sort of mystical power. It can okay. be, uh, it doesn't have to be like superhero-y, uh, but it certainly could be. Mm-hmm. Um, time control is definitely one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyone with anxiety is like, yes. I know. <laughs> uh, making anything taste delicious. Ooh. This is also going to be very helpful when I live with you in the apocalypse. I know, right? I'm just going to be boring and go with teleportation. That is hardly boring. I just like practical skills. I would do that in a second. I was like, by the way, so obsessed with astral projection when I was oh younger. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I I still like of all of the things that I've kind of let go of in terms of what's possible, like I don't think I've given that up. Like I've, I'm very reluctant. I, I, I keep feeling like, well, it feels like there could be a scientific explanation for the ability to manipulate matter and energy such that like some form of your consciousness could potentially leave your body and I travel. Like I want obsessed. there to be a scientific reason. Yeah, you know? I got obsessed with like, learning how to lucid dream yes. because I was like, this is close enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same, same, same. I'm glad 100%. you feel it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So you know how mash works. Yeah. Yes. Just real quick. I'm going to draw a little squiggle and then we'll take a moment while I uh, do some, some calculating. Okay. So just for me to establish what number I'm going to use, uh, tell me when to stop. Stop. 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to, we can just both keep recording. Okay. And uh, I think Julian can probably safely chop out some of the silence that's about to ensue. Or <laughs> if you want, you can tell people like what you're working on or what they can find of yours um, out there in the world yeah. or anything that you're into that you want to recommend while I do this. That's also an option. Ooh, yeah. Uh, let's see. These days, I'm doing the character art for this really awesome trashy romance dating sim game called Queen of Thieves by Lovestruck. Ooh, I've Lo- heard of it. I yeah, think. Lovestruck does a lot of games um, in that vein, so that that has been really fun. Uh, I'm working on my own graphic novel. I don't think I can give any more details than that. Um, Fair enough. But that is that is fun and cool. I'm doing a thing for Marvel for their anniversary issue. Uh... I just is that something that they do a lot of? Like, do they do sort of um, like now it's this anniversary and we have this special issue that everyone knows to expect, or is I, it unusual? I don't actually know. I I think so is the feeling I get. This is I think they say they said this is like their sixtieth anniversary something something. So it's like a little more special. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I'm doing like a little America Chavez short. Um, I just wrapped up a project for DC and Chronicle Books um, for a book about like the women superheroes of dc that's about uh, oh and some you know, some other secret video gamey things but yeah, yeah that that's God, everything is it. always so top secret in that world um i should just start saying i'm working on stuff just to like keep people at bay uh that's top secret <laughs> just because it sounds cool um even though that's rarely the case for me uh okay well guess what i did finish okay so i'm very happy fast. with the results of this mash game i'm so excited um First of all, uh, listen, I know it was totally rando, but um, but uh, uh, Sia is going to be doing oh, some, okay. <laughs> some, you know what? I like some Sia. very, I'll take it. Uh, some very probably moody, sexy, <laughs> uh, thoughtful um, scoring for Heck your yeah. creative process, uh, uh, which, by the way, includes um, uh really just whatever ex- exploration of Big Berta that you would want to do because that is the um, kind of IP that you ended up with uh, having the chance to become involved in if you wanted to. Uh, wait, which one was it? Uh, Big Barda. Oh, Big Barda. Okay. Oh, ooh, yeah. okay. Okay. Big Barda. Um, okay. You have... Now listen, I got to rip the bandaid off. You did get a shack. <laughs> That's okay. Shack, I like small living. It, it's easier it's to a small, It's Listen, it's like a tiny house. Basically, they yeah. might as well turn it into math instead of mash. And it would be like mansion, apartment, tiny, tiny house, house, and house. I'll make it like really efficient. And I'll tell you why it makes sense. is because it's in Tokyo. Aha. See? That works. So that's like, that's They're it's baked right in. Apartments. Exactly. It's just baked right in. <laughs> um, you have the, uh, you get to enjoy uh, dressing in such a manner as you would see in Jojo's Bizarre Adventures. Hell yeah. Uh, I was very pleased you got that one. Um, you get to disappear into Sailor Moon. Oh my goodness. Okay. Whenever you want. Amazing. Uh, and why say whenever you want? I mean, you can go ahead and stop time to do that if you want to, because oh. you also have oh. the ability to control time, which wow. assumingly, assumedly also means that you can go back and forth within it as well as to control it. So that's kind of a huge, I sort of buried the lead on that one. That definitely um, won't go wrong anywhere. Yeah, there's... <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. No one has to be concerned. No consequences. No one has to be concerned that you suddenly wield the most powerful tool in the world, nay, the universe. Um, Okay. Now, 
all of this, I'm sure we can both agree, is cause for celebration. You really got a tremendous, tremendous of very cool stuff here. So I want you to imagine yourself celebrating all of this by biting into a giant it's it because no harm will come to you or anyone else with none other than Asami. This is perfect. When does this yeah. get to begin? I I'm know. Ready. Listen, Sorry, I'll husband. see. I'll see. I'll see you in our lucid dreams tonight. <laughs> you can start start living the living the life right away. Amazing. Oh. Amazing. I'll pencil it in. Irene, this has been such a pleasure and a joy. Uh, I you. wish that we were together in person, but I'm glad yes. we were able to make it happen, um, regardless of location. And once you get that teleporting figured out, because I know that that's not what you got this round, but uh, could be on the way, then then we'll be able to do things like this um, with greater ease. That would be awesome. Uh, in the flesh. Um, thank you so much. Thanks uh, for having and, me. This was so much fun. Uh, so great. And, uh, and uh, listeners, I'll talk to you next time on the podcast. Heck yeah. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.